0: This episode of Postmortem is sponsored by RLJE Films. Holly must find a way to escape her dreams in the visually stunning Housewife from the very talented Turkish director of Baskin, Jan Efrenal. And from the creators of Final Destination, find out what's looming in your darkest nightmares in Sleep No More. Housewife and Sleep No More are both available on DVD, VOD, and digital October 2nd. Pre-order them today on Amazon.com. I'm Mick Garris, and this is the Postmortem Podcast. Let's talk about adaptation, not the brilliant screenplay by Charlie Kaufman about the process of turning the written word into moving pictures, brightly directed by Spike Jones. No, let's talk about the process itself. As a writer and director, I've adapted many literary works by Stephen King, Clive Barker, and many other authors into film and television adaptations, and it's always a tightrope walk. The challenge, of course, is to take something that already exists, to take all of its most fascinating elements, and turn it into something that lives and breathes and takes on a life of its own. The reader is an active audience. He or she picks up a book, turns the pages at a personal pace, fills in the images with his or her own imagination, and is an actual participant in the telling of the story. The filmmakers have to choose a vision to present to a vast audience, a vision that will come to represent the story in visual terms, characters represented by actors, choosing the best route to turn a reading experience into a watching experience. And on top of that, it's not just the writer and director making all the choices. In the world of film, it really does take a village. If you're lucky, you're working from material that is cinematic in its literary form, as with Stephen King. But sometimes, all you can really do is take a theme and a plot, as literary storytelling can be much less linear than a movie needs to be. And inevitably, material has to be cut. Equally inevitably, what you cut is going to be some reader's favorite scene. Hence the constant refrain, It's not as good as the book. As Richard Matheson told me, books are internal and film is external. An author can delve into the deepest of thoughts and philosophical matters as he composes his musings. In film, character and storytelling are done from the outside in. Often narration takes the place of inner musings in film. Equally often, it's a cheap shortcut. Today we have two guests to discuss that process. Joe Lansdale is an author with a tremendously original voice, hard-boiled yet sensitive, boldly imaginative but earthbound, salty and Texan, and with an outrageous sense of humor recognizable from the first sentence. Don Coscarelli, whom we've been lucky to have on the show before, is most famous for his Phantasm movies and is a filmmaker with as unique a vision as Lansdale on film. Fifteen years ago, they collaborated on something remarkable and amazing, a movie unlike any other, and we are here to celebrate it. We'll light the birthday candles to the remarkable Bubba Hotep after this. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer... Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. All right, guys, let's talk about the beginning of this collaboration. How did you two first meet?
1: I'll take that. I uh, used to go uh, book shopping at a store called Dangerous Visions in Sherman Oaks.
0: Very well known, named after a Harlan Ellison collection. Yeah, Yeah.
1: not... uh, Long since gone, unfortunately. And they had a lot of cool stuff. And I used to just uh, browse the shelves and try to find something that, you know, looking for something maybe that would spark my fancy to make a movie. And I went up to the uh, guy who ran the place. And I said, uh, so what's new in cutting edge and horror? And he said, uh, follow me.
0: And he
1: <laughs> took me over to the L aisle. And he goes, Joe Lansdale. He always has a high body count, (laughs) which I later found to not be so true, but uh, it intrigued me. And I grabbed a couple of books. I think it was The Night Runners and The Mm Drive-In. Went home, and uh, luckily a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Connor, had this uh, business called Scream Press. He was in the uh, uh, publishing world and somehow dug up a phone number for Joe. I think that was maybe before email. Yeah, it was it's, definitely yeah. before email. So I <laughs> called him up. We started talking. I tried to I, – I loved reading The Drive-In and yes. Runners. Great books. I thought maybe one of them would make for a great movie, especially The Drive-In. And I called Joe, and The Drive-In, I think, had just been optioned. But um, – he invited in the West may have come up, too. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm another. not sure I'd seen that yeah, one yet. Later. But, uh, but Joe invited me to come down to Texas and visit. So I went down in for the weekend yeah. to Nacogdoches, yeah. yes. And it Came for a long weekend, weekend. Yeah. 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 It was really nice. Yeah, we
2: had, we had a lot of fun, and we talked about stuff. But we, we couldn't really get anything going then because, like, as he said, the drive-in was an option. And I probably didn't have as much material as that. And then along came a little time after Don and left. And you know, we hit it off immediately. We you know we were friends immediately. When he called me on the phone, he said Don Coscarelli and I think you tried to explain who you were and I said, I know who you are. <laughs> I said, Phantasm. Uh but he, he came and uh, we talked and then when he left, a little while later he came across uh, Bubba Hotep and he called me I said Don you can't film Bubba Hotep <laughs> that won't film and he said no he was pretty persistent I said man I don't want to take your money for that I want not film but he made a deal with my my agent and I think a year passed nothing happened and I think you renewed it and I think I I said okay if you're foolish enough to get it the first time you you can go ahead the second time it's just not going to happen and he asked me to do the screenplay and I thought Mm, that's a hard one to do. And I probably wanted more money just because, but, <laughs> yeah. but but, but it, it was a hard one to do. It was a real reason. I said, I don't think it can be done. So then he sends me a screenplay. And I read it. I said, well, I'll be damned. It can be done.
0: And Don, you adapted it yourself.
1: Yeah, yes, he, he did. did. You know, and uh, you know, by the way, Mick, just as a you know, for aspiring filmmakers, I never intended to be a writer by any means. I want to make a movie maker. <laughs> right. And uh, frequently though, in the low budget world, you you know, you 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 know, writing Jack is a part right. of it. Yeah, yeah, you have to do all of it is what it's about. The more but, you know but, about every but part of it. Before we films. go further, we gotta talk about that first meeting down in Nacogdoches because Joe invited me kindly and I he had this office downstairs with a, a bed down there, and he told me about all the luminaries. Loom- had slept in that <laughs> David Scow yeah, had just the been there man. I think Christian, and yeah, yeah Richard Christian yeah. Matheson uh, great writer um, a lot of editors a yeah. lot of different people yeah, you know, all of our
0: buddies like, yeah. 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 and
1: then of course there was the the creek bed next door and he says yeah watch out for the water moccasins <laughs> that come out at night <laughs> <laughs> and so every night I'm just you know inspiration it was, was slithered by but it was, dis- it was uh,
2: not connected to the house I you had know. to go outside to go around to go up, yeah. up the stairs uh, to, the, yeah. Yeah. to the rest of the house but you know you said something in your introduction and and i'm always a little bit bitchy about this Mm -hmm. and of course it depends you know is is talking about adaptations the best and most literal adaptation i've ever had don did it yeah you see that movie it's 90 percent, maybe even higher than that Uh, and what he did he did another thing and i really appreciated this is that he took some of the I guess you would call it the prose, and turned it into dialogue.
0: Yes. That, one of the things I was going to say is how very faithful to the language the movie is. And well, look, people say— Nick, That's the genius
1: of, of Joe, is his use of language is so amazing. And I don't know that uh, anyone can write like him. And to just—you know, when you're ad- adapting a screenplay— you know, all you can really use is the dialogue, and then the settings and the scenario. You know, the scenario and plot, but all of the description. You know, the third person description usually just has to be jettisoned. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wish I I could say that I knew exactly what I was doing because mm-hmm. when I first started, I had a narrator and I took all that yeah, stuff I and that. I'd have a narrator and you I actually I, had me narrate a little. Piece I had for a the, section yeah to yeah, do a test well, for that I and uh, that. I. And then the th- the problem was though, is that was the George, uh, Joe's sh- story had the construct in there of having elvis do narration so then you had your you know your what you're looking at then you've got elvis's narration and then a layered on top of it was a third-party narrator
0: and okay as we get deeper into this for anybody who has not read the the novella or seen the film joe maybe you ought to give a rundown of what the plot is well yeah the plot is really pretty simple i think it is simple i think it's
2: the characters and the way they interact the idea was and this was kind of a thing then you'd see it in the magazines all the time elvis didn't die he's out there he's living in las vegas you know or and he's as a truck driver or whatever i mean the story was always variable you know but he was supposedly alive and uh that was the big uh big takeaway from so many of those little cheap magazines and Mm -hmm. papers that came out and also when i was growing up i of course you know we, we knew about the Kennedy assassination. We were you know I was a kid then, I probably 11 or something mm-hmm. I don't remember. but uh, that had a big impact. and uh, so the idea of John F. Kennedy and Elvis were in my mind because my, my brother actually lived in Memphis and tried to record at Sun Records. Wow. and his wife that he met there had gone to school with Elvis. They graduated from Hume High at right. the same time. Oh, so there was that little card. connection, yeah. and, and he, of course, had met and, and knew Elvis in passing. Right you know, before he was really the big guy. The king, yeah. So those things came together. My mother had had an accident, and she had to be in a rest home for a while mm-hmm. because she had to have around the clock. So I, you know, I spent a lot of time there. So all of those three things, I think, were marinating. And, and I'd once made up a title as a joke called Bubba Hotep. Mm-hmm. I, I said that would be the redneck version of an Egyptian uh, mummy film. <laughs> right. And I'd always loved those mummy films, all those universal films when I was little. And, uh, and then when... Um, I was asked to do it. Uh, I want to say it's Paul Salmon that was the editor. I, I'm,
0: yeah, I think yeah, if I remember so, yeah, right, I think you're. And right. it
2: was originally called Elvis is dead. Maybe that's what it eventually became. Elvis mm-hmm. is dead. But I wrote the story, and all of those factors came together. And there was also the fact that when you're, you know, you see visiting people in the old folks' home, as they used to call it in in right. Texas, it's not only that she was there for medical reasons. You know that she she was aging, and you're seeing people that were even older than that and though i was not a a, an older man then you know as i as i am now (laughs) but but i think that it affected me uh about how people deal with age and that the fact is no matter what you do in life no matter how famous you are how rich you are if you get old Mm -hmm. if you don't get old you're dead before then and then it's like if you're lucky it was the idea the theme of what, what what does it really matter you know, you know how much sex you've had, how much money you've had, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. If in the end, it, what's it you know, worth? Yeah. And so I, you know, I kind of got this thematic idea that it's not about where you end up. It's where you go as you travel. Hmm. It's the traveling that counts. We're all
0: going to end up in the same place. yeah, You know, same box, same <laughs> box. Ooh, so, well, for the uninitiated, Bubba Hotep is about Elvis Presley. Actually, still being alive, and living in an old folks' home in Texas, and oh, I, didn't, I didn't finish, did I Yes, yeah. that, right. and a an elderly black gentleman who believes he's John F. Kennedy who is still alive, and his brain has been replaced by sand by the government.
2: And, and the actual brain, brain is in a, uh, the White House powered by batteries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he gets vibes from that. And I forgot to mention, too, that, that there's a, a mummy.
0: Yeah, there's a mummy. <laughs> yeah. There's a passing circus with a mummy that uh, crashes off a bridge. the Common's
2: little brother or something. Yeah.
0: And, and comes to life. So, so when we're talking about a Joe Lansdale horror story, Joe Lansdale meets Don Coscarelli becomes quite a potent mix because both of you have very distinctive voices, and it's something that all creative artists aspire to.
1: Well, Mick, and, I'd like to just interrupt for a second and say the Bubba Hotep really came about because Joe has this fearless writing style that <laughs> where other writers won't tread. And he, In the yeah, '80s, it he, was called Splatterpunk. <laughs> well, yeah, he which is for me was ridiculous. Yeah, Joe yes. at one time was one of the Splatterpunk yes, guys, exactly. But no, what Joe's genius and what I don't think any of the Splatterpunk other Splatterpunkers did is that he has an ability or a a desire to mash up genres, and he take something that you've seen you know, a million times before and some other genre, and then he fuses them and then mixes in a few other things and makes something that's just completely unique. Well, you know, I think Don and
2: I both like the idea of it being something poignant and yes. having some purpose. And we, we thought about these guys, and I don't remember, I think Don or Bruce, I remember who who said this, but Bruce it was Cameron. the idea of how you really wanted to see them end up, that heroic moment Instead of being shot in the back of a limousine or dying on the toilet, straining at stool.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you wanted something a
2: little more than that, you know? And, but yet we also wanted to capture all of the genre vibes and things that we're interested in. And, um, I mean, I love Don's work, but for me, I always felt that Bubba was everything that Don did brilliantly. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, and not just because it's my work, but because, He did such a wonderful job. And, you know, when you're doing these kind of movies, Don's pretty much everything on him, you know, producer, director, he did everything but act in it,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: and he may have done that. Yeah, I, he know. might have been yeah. the mummy. For <laughs> yeah, he God, was.
1: You no, know, yeah. I couldn't fit into that costume. Yeah, no, that, you have to that, be pretty thin. That, that was Bob. <laughs>
2: yeah, was. The funny
0: thing is, it's a mummy story, and the mummy is the least important part exactly. of this story. Well, it's it's representational
2: true. of, uh, you know, that idea of growing old and death and, yeah. and all know, that.
1: I think when reading the short story originally, it, it brought imagery and feelings into my mind about elvis i you know i was not really an, an elvis fan no. but i knew about him and there were certain aspects of elvis that we all sort of know about right like he loved his mother yeah he he was very respectful he'd always right. say sir you know he was polite uh and there were heroic inherent intrinsic intrinsic heroic Elements to Elvis and the Elvis legend, especially also with the karate, with the jumpsuits. He was a you know, model after Shazam, by the way. Of course, right. because was, he was so popular with that, he, he started dressing in these jumpsuits in a way to almost poke fun at himself. Right. But it kind of wasn't because no. he had this ability to, you know. Make with the curly lip smile, yeah, as Joe yeah, used yeah. to say, and get anything he wanted. Yeah. And uh, so. I mean,
0: he also wanted to be an uh, undercover operative for President oh, of Nixon. Yes. The, the, and he played
2: heroes yeah. in movies. Yes, he, he uh, most of the movies he did were, you know, Incredible. well, I'd say about ninety nine point nine were yeah. very good. But but he had chops, but he never got to use them right. you know, by his own fault, by his manager fault. What doesn't matter. But the thing was, he played heroes in those movies.
1: Yep, and, 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 of course, then Joe had it all in there where in the story where Elvis, you know, he, Elvis says, you know, what he always wanted to be, a hero. Yes. You know? And the the movie gives Elvis and the legend and legacy of Elvis and all the Elvis fans out there this moment. And as Joe used to describe it, it's like ride the high country with a walker yeah. and a wheelchair. Yeah, that's right. That's are right. These, these so you have
0: d- President Kennedy and yeah. Elvis Presley, the two most iconic heroes oh. of the 1960s. Don't forget the Lone Ranger, was it oh, yeah, too? Right. <laughs> oh yeah, And they all died with their boots on, you yes, know? It's,
1: yeah. uh, so it had these American hero... So it's about heroism. Absolutely. The end no, The guy, the the guy, end that, the guy yeah. that played Kimo
2: was probably in better shape than all of us. That's, that <laughs> is true. He was true. an older guy. He yeah. looked like Tarzan. You know, They had to the yeah. of work
0: to make him look old. Larry Pinnell was yeah. his name. Yeah. Great actor. Um, yeah. So what was it about the story when you first read it that made right. you think, I want okay. to make this? Well, first off, it wasn't even the story. It was
1: the log line in the book Dust jacket, where it just says Elvis battles 4,000-year-old mummy. And it was just like, oh, shit, that's a movie right that there. That is the weirdest log line for this
0: story. Yes, yeah. it's kind of the log line, but it's such a minuscule I, part of what the story but is But about. just
1: that, alo- that little yeah. nugget alone, like, really
0: intrigued me. But I'll
1: tell you what the closer was for me. Is um, there's just a wonderful moment in the in the book, in the novella, and I think in the movie, where as JFK dies mm-hmm. and Elvis salutes him as Mister President, and when I read that story, you know, I got a little tear in my eye, and I was thinking, "Jeez, yeah. what's going on here?" Yeah. You know,
2: and it was, it, well, you know, another thing that that I was glad Don did, and I was afraid that we wouldn't be able to do it because we discussed it and he wasn't sure was having the hieroglyphics come out of his mouth and present themselves on the screen because in the story when he speaks the hieroglyphics are there and a very fine artist friend of mine Mark Nelson had created those hieroglyphics based Mm -hmm. on the Egyptian Book of the Dead and so I, I thought I think he maybe spoke two or three times in the story. I think he did it twice in the film. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. But I was really thinking, gosh, we don't have that. We're going to lose this sort of thing that makes it unique, that's that's preposterous sure. in one way. Sure. But in another way, it reaches out and touches something unexpected, and you still believe it. Yeah. And Don was able to do it.
0: And you actually did it. I mean, yeah. on, a, on a film with a very tight budget.
1: <laughs> well, I, I brought in some collaborators. David yes. Hartman created that tumbling effect, and Michael Smith, a friend of his helped with the animation of it yeah. and, you know these guys came in and did it's stuff just, for like nothing and this was back before the com- processing power in the computers was quite what it is today oh, right but right. Uh, you know at least use, they could
0: be kind I, of cartoony and work yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know after i read um his
1: <laughs> script Don's script
2: i i was optimistic but i after, i wasn't i wasn't sold i'll be yeah. honest with you yeah. because i not because of him or anybody else just because i thought this is so difficult to bring to the screen and I, I and with that time he had not chosen an actor, you know. That's true. And uh, my son said to me, he said, "Oh, Dad, get Bruce Campbell. He's my favorite actor." I said, Really? Son, I don't have any say in this. <laughs> Don calls me the very same day. Says, "What do you think about Bruce Campbell?" <laughs> you know? And so then I got to be a hero to my son. Yeah, I got that Bruce Campbell well, guy for you. <laughs> all
1: I gotta say is Keith knows something that we don't. Because, <laughs> yes, you know there, yes. I, Look,
0: and he was what ten years old oh, at the time or yeah. something. Yeah.
1: I mean, Bruce made this tr- terrific success. In the Evil Dead movies, and had a, a massive
0: fan, fan, base. fan
1: base of He's Evil. He's the Dead Elvis fans. of B movies. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he yeah. Was at that that's time. great. Yeah. Or point. he was he was moving into it. Yeah, I mean, you're it was, right. It yeah, he was, just, yeah, it, just, it was to be growing and getting bigger. But you know, those of us in the genre, right. we could right. start to you know see, see that it. kind mm-hmm. of thing. Because I I had actually you know was a good six or seven years before that. I went to a Fangoria convention because. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie Bannister from Phantasm was presenting a Lifetime Achievement ah. Award to Angus. And so I went to go oh, support. Yeah, right. And, you know, they were they did that. It was very nice and lovely. And then it finished. And then uh, Bruce Campbell was coming out to do an award. And I'd only seen the movies, and I never really met him. Mm-hmm. And he, he was in – I'm losing my lucidity to describe this moment. He came out – and I think there might be a video floating around on the web – He walked out and did a stunt right out of Evil Dead (laughs) 2, right in front of the crowd. He put his hand behind his head and did this complete flip and hit. And they kind of ended it with a little James Brown flourish, you know, (laughs) on the ground. And it looked like it hurt, and he did it. And the audience went nuts. And I thought, oh, wow, this is a guy who – loves his fans, and yep. will risk his life yeah. to entertain them. He'll I, go anywhere. He, you yeah. Know? He's and a that, physical that comedian, with, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's very sure, much. Yeah. I mean, he has a, a great
2: physicality. It's sort of, sort of, you know, he reminds me of Buster Keaton. Oh, yeah. In the way he yeah, moves. You know, and Very and, much so. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, maybe even Cary Grant had those yeah. kind of, you know, they did those kind of pratfalls. And yeah. stuff well,
0: with and, charm, too. You know, the know the that. great thing about casting a guy like Bruce Campbell is he comes Prepared. He's he's already somebody that has a history. That yeah. character existed before the opening titles ran, right. and he brings the good kind of baggage with him. He he's has got a, a, he has a charisma. And, yeah. a yeah, and and he's
2: handsome, but but he's he's uniquely handsome in a way that makes him really approachable. Right you know Absolutely. makes him like a, a regular guy, but not quite.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: you
2: know? not, And well, so when he played good. Elvis, uh, and they he, they put the makeup on him, which, which took a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. and this was KNB
0: yeah, right yeah K M B Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, he was that guy. yeah, he was that guy. Yeah. And, and I remember meeting Ossie Davis out there, and it was all and it, you know, I'm not a starstruck kind of guy normally. writers do it to me. Right. Stars, I'm not much move. Mm-hmm. Ossie Davis, my God, I here's a guy that because of the civil rights movement, he was involved in that greatly. He gave the eulogy at the Martin Luther King's funeral. Yeah, he he, he spoke Ruby at both. Malcolm, yeah. yes, Malcolm, X, Ma- so. Malcolm X's, yeah. and he uh, was a one of the first black producers, directors. Yeah, uh, he did. He did wrote plays. He wrote screenplays. He did stage. He did movies. And so I was like in awe. And when I came in, he I, he said, hello, Mr. Lennon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we have a little story about that. Absolutely I had, true. Because I had worked with, with Ossie on the stand, yeah. and it was a great okay. honor and a Let great- Let me tell the story, because <laughs> right. I
1: have to uh, give you your proper accolades. Well. Mick sitting here is one of the reasons that Bubba Hotep really got made, because- That's you know, that the getting because he no, was sitting ser- right there. But, but <laughs> seriously- you know Bruce was a, a magnificent uh get for us to star in the film but we needed the linchpin, which was somebody to bring some level of dignity to that role. And right and and toss, us, yeah. you know, and and, and tracking down Aussie's uh, agent, trying to tell you know one of these guys, yeah, it's about a 4000 year, four year old mummy, and, and not. It, it, it and we want this great actor, and, 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 it and he plays
0: John F. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, it
1: doesn't connect with those he guys is. the way yeah, it does yes. with us, and especially yeah. now that we made the movie. And he passed on it. He did pass. the, the, yeah, the, we, the agent yeah, did. That, agent passed and it was just like dead and i went back what the hell do i do now and uh i remembered that mick had uh uh, worked with aussie and so i called mick up and i really imposed on him i said mick i need you to write him a nice letter and tell him i'm a good guy and work and he says oh no problem don and i think that we FedEx the letter because yeah. be, again before email to make sure he got it and a couple of days later Aussie was in so thank you Mick well. <laughs> you were an honorable Bubba Hotep hero well. uh,
2: yeah you know when, when we were on the set uh, and you, I think you and I were, I was there, and I know you were too. I believe yeah. they were just sitting on the bench, him, uh, Bruce and Ossie. And, and Bruce said, What are you doing in this movie? This is my <laughs> kind of movie. And, and, I, and Ossie said, I like
1: the script. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And,
2: uh, but you know, what's weird is that a few, some years later, I had on my Bubba Hotep t shirt and I was in Italy. Um, my daughter Casey is a, a singer and stuff, and she was performing in Italy with a, a, a a number of people at a film i mean excuse me at a book and music festival mm-hmm. and so i was over there and our paths crossed is great you know that Perfect. happens to us once in a while and so i was there and i got to see her perform and then i, I watched uh guy davis perform and and uh, charlie Musselwhite. i think it might have been that year or the year after anyway mm-hmm. i think it was that year but anyways all this stuff and i had my bubba Hotep t-shirt on, on, and guy davis comes to me he says i loved my dad in that and i went what I realized that's his son. His son was the blues guitarist, oh, and he says, "Oh, God. I got to get a picture for Mama." So he came over and got <laughs> oh. a. And I thought, Ruby
0: D. Yeah, I mean, this
2: is, yeah. You know, that's amazing. And, and, and those things, because Ruby D. also, like Ozzy, was deeply involved in the civil rights. Absolutely. Uh, movement and all that. So these were kind of heroes of mine.
0: One of the greatest honors of my life, I'm working with Ossie Davis yeah. and Ruby D together as, as they weren't a couple in it. But yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I had cast someone else who got sick and died, and we replaced him with Ossie because we didn't want to go the obvious route of yeah. putting them together. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, they're both so magnificent and they were both so amazing to work with and learn from and oh, and yeah. asking for input and and mm. just really really wonderful human <laughs> beings as well as <laughs> as, as great Actors that you could possibly hope to work with.
2: Well, Aussie oh, uh, said to me once. He says I, I was thinking about changing a line. I said, "Oh, I didn't write the script." He said I asked Don. He said, "But he went ahead and just told me." I forget what it was. It was something simple. And, and you know, had I written the script, I'd have do whatever the hell you want. So what I was <laughs> yeah, my answer. Exactly. But because I know he, you know, he knew. But it was a. It was one word. And, and, I,
1: and he would also say, arsehole. Oh, the arsehole. <laughs> yeah, where he came with that, God knows, yeah. but we loved it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was, uh, just an amazing, one time he came up to me and I can't do an impression like Joe does of Aussie, <laughs> but he, you know, he said, you know, I've met a lot of presidents, but I just never thought I'd ever be asked to play President <laughs> he, JFK. <laughs> he knew Elvis, too. He had
2: yeah. met Elvis. He
1: had met – Wow. Uh, oh, I never
0: talked with him about yeah, that. Yeah, I what
2: think it, that's right. What, I believe that's what, what Bruce really told me, so wow. I'm I'm going on, okay. on that.
0: It would not be surprising. No, no, I'm pretty yeah. sure he probably
2: yeah. did. Yeah. It w- I wouldn't surprise me at all. But it was a it was a fascinating place where it was shot, too, because it was an old veteran's home or something? Or? Yeah,
1: it was a rehabilitation hospital. Right. It was called Rancho Los Amigos. Okay. Yeah. and it was it was spooky yeah. you know and it had the uh, and of course was that they, shot here yeah or, yeah, and yeah down in Downey yeah. is where it
2: but was. there was a house across from it that was when you when you see the exterior you know the exterior mm-hmm. shots that yeah. and the interior was kind of across the street
1: yeah we had it and, all right and, uh, on this one property right.
2: and there. then down the street is Nacogdoches. And the only <laughs> thing waiting. funny about that is when they would show it, they would show, uh, say Nacogdoches and I'd be in East Texas and they'd have a car driving, there's mountains in the background, everybody break out laughing all yeah. time. Because <laughs> obviously that, but in a way, it kind of added to this kind of like surreal element that was part of that picture, you know, and, and what what I was scared is that it would not work, and when I got there, you 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 showed me uh, a daily uh, something that you had shot, and as soon as I saw it, I went, "Okay, yeah," because what it is is the actors played it straight. Even though right. Bruce is funny, he he plays it straight, and and you
0: really feel for the guy but you there's know, quite like, a bit of pathos yeah. in this oh story. my and gosh, in yeah. a lot of your work i mean yeah. there's a lot of con- confronting life and death in the work of right John well yeah.
2: don got it the actors got it uh and the atmosphere of the set highly contributed to the moodiness not not just the the kind of creepiness that you wanted for for um the mummy
0: right you know, yes. who,
2: who as you said really is the least important part of it but uh the the it's the mcguffin yeah exactly the mamuffin yeah yes. it's a reason to have a a story but there there's these things it's like when elvis picks up the phone and calls Ossie in his room, and he had, and Aussie has like a red phone, like like the
1: the hotline. The hotline. Right. Yeah, we, yes. we all grew up with the hotline. <laughs> the hotline. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and he, you know, ask not what your rest home can do for you, and then uh Auss- that's Bruce says that as. Yeah. as Elvis and Ozzy says, "Hey, you're
0: stealing some of you know, my, my best my lines." lines. <laughs> right, right. It was so good. They're yeah.
1: both so good with comedy, you know.
0: Yeah, And and, and, and um, we don't think of Don. We don't think of your work as being comedic, particularly until that time. I mean, there's always humor in what no, you no, do.
2: That's that's true. I haven't thought of it in that way. Yeah.
0: But outright comedic. This was the first time we'd seen that take. Shape was there any special homework that you did to that, or or did you just find it in Joe's? Yeah, words the, the, the,
1: the the humor was in the story, and yeah. of course working with Bruce Campbell. I mean, I, you know, when you mentioned that uh, uh, notion about Buster Keaton, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the sequence where. Uh, Elvis, uh, dresses up in his bush jacket and goes on one, his one mission where he's gonna go scout out the, uh, creek down behind the, the rest home. And he's in his walker and we have this one extended take. And I think we could only do it like twice where he comes down this really steep hill with the walker. <laughs> and if you watch that from beginning to end, just the way Bruce plays the comedy in that, it's, it's, so it's not so. a scene that people ever really talk about. But, you know, being in the editing room and also because just technologically, I think we were shooting with some short ends in that particular shot. The negative was a bit fried, so in color correction was always, you know, always on trying to get it so it yeah, on the edge. Yeah. and so we'd watch it again and again, and just watching the evolution of that, it had a Keaton esque feel yeah. to how yeah. he did. He
2: it. He reminds me of of him in yeah. in that way. Yeah, a little broad. Well, of broader. course, yeah. yeah well, yeah. Keaton was you know stone faced. Was so. I mean, subtle, I'm, I'm mainly yeah. referring to the body control right. and the movement right. and the it's humor. Where it looks like the person has completely lost control, but they haven't. No, they're really controlling it to to, they're 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 giving you that impression.
0: Well, what did you what feelings did you have going into this? You'd you'd been going through things. Well, the first time I heard about you as a writer was from The Drive-In, which was an Mm -hmm. iconic uh, novel that Joe had written uh, early 80s, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll Everybody wanted Don to make it. a film out of it. Yeah. But I, I can't get
1: him off the dime. Everybody,
0: well, we, including Mick, Paul Salmon should, was going to produce. So it. You uh, should
1: tell what the story is in the drive in
2: those. Joe days. should tell. Okay. Well, yeah, it's the idea that, uh, there's a small town where people don't have a lot to do, but they go to this drive in. That's one of the biggest in the world. And it, it was based on a real drive-in, but they go there and it has six screens and the screens show on this, on the weekends, they show nothing but horror films. And so it's called the Orbit Drive-In and you have this long line of people going in. You can hear all the music from their cars. You got, you know, you may have Sleepy LaBeef, you may have the Blood Farmers, you may have, you know, you you name it, different kinds of music is rattling about. And they drive inside and they're all excited and people are doing barbecue. And so which they really did, you know, they're nearly blowing their damn cars up out there. And so then the movies start and a giant comet appears in the sky, but it gets closer and closer and then it smiles. It has teeth and then it goes away. And when it's gone, the drive-in is encased in a sort of black acidic goo and nobody can leave. And so uh we f- we're following all this through the eyes of one of the main characters who does this in first person, but essentially they don't have they start running out of food and so the concession stand they start eating the candies and stuff, and that's all they got. People are getting <laughs> hypoglycemic and it's getting strange and 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 people try to go out and the goo eat you, you know so it it's it's not a good thing and then just when it couldn't think it could get worse. Um, the, the, the two friends, uh, uh, a, a guy who's a real fan of horror makeup and, a, and a kind of a motorcycle guy, he's carrying him on his shoulders while they walk up to the concession stand, and they're hit by a weird, freaky piece of lightning that comes out of the sky and welds them. And the guy was wearing a popcorn uh, bucket. bucket on his head, and when he did, it fuses him. <laughs> and then it changes him, and he becomes this, this monster called the Popcorn King, who becomes <laughs> their religion inside the, the drive-in. And then All gets, hail
0: the popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: then it yeah. gets weird after
0: yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, after that. <laughs> so, but this was talked about so many times. Every year I'd hear, or oh, they're going to make the drive-in. I still hear it every year now. Did you develop a, a sense of cynicism about adaptation? At I'm,
2: that I'm always cynical
0: about film. Uh,
2: I mean, I I love it, and uh, I've had things made. I've been more fortunate than many, but um, I'm always cynical about it because it has so many factors to get it made. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, I've got this great director, Don Coscarelli, I've got this good story, or you hope, or I've got this actor. There, There are so many factors that have nothing at all to do with the film. Right. They have to do with who's got the money now, who's hot now, who's connected to who, what they want, or and you always have the people. I have my own vision.
0: <laughs>
2: well, fuck your vision, <laughs>
0: yes. and, and
2: uh, I, I want them to have their own vision that that you know also captures the vision that I had. Right. And I've always thought that the best adaptations were people who actually tried to capture what was written you know?
0: what's the point otherwise i mean having yeah, done a lot no of that why
1: would you go to the effort and the legal you could just write
2: your own yeah, yeah you could just come yeah. up with your own story you know and so anyway the, they when in in film you you have that a lot but that said i i constantly hear people say well you know you can't do the book or you can't do the story and i they always say that to me like i have well you mean you can't literally put it on <laughs> but i know that but i do think a lot of times what that is is an excuse to find a way to not have to worry about what was originally
0: right written. right
2: and and don did two of my pieces and both of them i thought and, and you know their things were added there were certain cha- but yeah. there were, i never felt like oh that's
0: not my story well, let's get into that because the other time you you guys worked together was on my show, Masters of Horror. And it That's was back when you were young, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yes, way back <laughs> All then. All of us. Yeah. Uh, but it was such a potent combination that we decided to debut the show with that episode. It was our premiere episode. This is Incident on and Off a Mountain Road. So tell me how. Don, what led you to choose that when we said, we came to you and said, listening to Joe
1: talk about the difficulties in movies, it also brings me around. And I didn't hear your introduction, but I do need to plug my new memoir that's coming out called True Indie. True Indie. Uh, It's a great autobiography. Which has a lot of elements about how one gets a movie made and from the nuts and bolts from the indie part of things. But, Incident on on, off a mountain road. Interesting story was that I don't know if Joe remembers, but I when I first uh, optioned Bubba Hotep, I also optioned his story incident because for me when I read this story and it's a it's a great very simple story about a woman who's out in at night driving and she her car she's in a little bit of a crash and then she wakes up and she ends up fighting to the death with this terrible serial killer and moon face it, and it's a very Moonface. traditional what's used to be called damsel in distress which i don't think we're you know with the me too movement it's <laughs> yeah. going away But this, ten years ago, or twenty years ago, when Joe wrote it, it turns the whole thing on its ear. And Mm -hmm. I think that there was a, when I read it, you know, because I came from a family of feminists, my mother and my, uh, my sister, and I read it and I go, wow, this is a horror feminist story. I gotta see if I could, you know, because it's hard to, you know, especially, in in the film genre, the way that you know the, the, the slashers just for years, there's most of them are so damn misogynistic, right? And right. we go and watch them and kind of go, mm, should we should we be watching movies right, like this where right. you just you know, eighty five bro-
0: minutes of titillation, yeah? Five women have sex lie. and then I
1: are mean, then yeah. are bloodily yeah. bru- brutalized. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, Joe's story had a had a twist and was so cool, and so at that time I read them both and and uh, but and optioned them. But the problem was I couldn't get anybody to fund that story, and mm-hmm. I was you know casting about like how can I get to a major actress to read this thing and see that. And I'm thinking. Uh, moon face with the steel teeth—it's <laughs> just not right. gonna. And you know, I well, couldn't that, get the problem
2: is just I'm not going to interrupt you, Bruce, yeah. Briefly, is that when you tell these log lines, they seem like something you've seen before, but
1: they aren't. Yeah, right. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah, right. And that, you know, I think it's that, all in the handling. It's all yeah. in the characters, and it's all in the twists and turns. Yeah, absolutely
1: yeah. true. And I think that's why Joe and I like working together because we're
0: like-minded souls
1: in that way. Which is that it's okay to. And I think both of us. Have, well, Joe's pushed out of it a little bit out of the genre. Not so much with me, but the thing is, is that while working in the genre, we're trying to look for ways of making something a little different and a little interesting. And so that's kind of what – Or a we, lot. The, the yeah, path, yeah. Or a lot. But in any case, so um, I had made Bubba Hotep and things had gone great and all of that. And then one day I get this phone call from Mick and he uh, – well, I guess I better back it up even further – Before, as I was making Bubba Hotep, I got a call from Mick, and he says, I'm going to have a dinner with some of my good friends, and they're all directors. Would you like to come? And I said, oh, this would be great. And he had this dinner and invited – all these horror legends, from uh, Stuart Gordon to oh. Larry Cohen to John Carpenter to Toby Hooper, John Landis. Who else am I missing? Bill <laughs> Malone. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro was yeah, yeah. there. And, and this was uh, our
0: very first Masters dinner. Yeah. Yes, and there it's were twelve of
1: us. And it's uh, and we like we casually throw around this Masters of horror, and everybody probably thinks, "Oh, God, those guys have their heads stuck up their ass." Calling them that. <laughs> it's but a joke. Yeah. It, it was a joke. Ju- all came. out out of a joke because Guillermo was there and and everybody was laughing. We were having a, it was a I'll have to diverge a little. It was a really great evening because you you make meet all these like minded filmmakers and the last thing they want to talk about is themselves. All they want to talk about is your movie. They're yeah. all horror fans. Yeah. And and the best part about it is, is that at the end of the night, we had so much fun that Mick's counting up the money when everybody cut their He had like a hundred bucks. Everybody kicked in extra money they had so much fun. <laughs> and then we made Mick, uh, said he could keep it for the next dinner.
0: <laughs> I made an extra hundred bucks off Yay! of that. I'm going to do
1: this more often. <laughs> but the 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 name came from the fact that we were being quite raucous, making a lot of noise and laughing and having a, a great time. And there was this a group of four people that they were celebrating a birthday in the restaurant next to us. I don't know if they were enjoying our laughter yeah. as much as that. But anyway, the woman's birthday cake arrived and uh, Guillermo del Toro jumps to his feet and he like felicitously says, um, please accept our best Birthday Birthday wishes from the Masters of Horror. Happy birthday. And that's where the name came from. But at any rate, so Mick decided to monetize the Masters of Horror and he had this plan. Well, I don't want to Well, I'm not, that's that's being (laughs) crass, but in a good way, he had a plan. To uh, basically put together a deal to make 13 one hour movies for, yeah. for the Showtime network. Yeah. And uh, so he came around to all of his friends and he came to me and he said, So, and you can do anything you want. And like I'm thinking, hmm, what do I have? Like, dick, click, dick. Wait a minute, Mar- I paid for that thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had actually, it had actually gone back to you. Yeah, and I went, and I went, click. Incident yeah. on and off a
2: of mountain road. God, what a nice job you did on that too. And I and I know it. you were frustrated because you were you are having to work fast and yeah. Yeah. and whatever. And, and Bree Turner, gosh, she was so yeah. The cast so was excellent.
1: Good. She and Ethan Embry, yes, is her Ethan, they were so and good. John DeSantis is the and big guy. Angus, uh, uh, Angus Scrim had a nice yes, little role. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we got to give some credit to uh, Stephen Romano who yeah. came yeah. on and helped me with, uh, with, uh, with put the with screenplay QP. together.
0: Yeah, so but uh, you know checking. I know this was a tough one for you because working all your life as an independent having a union crew and a start and stop and needing to be out on certain hours and things it, that, like that
1: it, it was it was a dream on any level you know i had a little problem with one crew member and that right. was it yeah. but but everything else... It's a level. dream now, Don. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Canadian the Canadian crews could... I mean, well, it's amazing how they Having
0: the... the.
1: I was on the set yeah, watching you. Yeah. yeah. It was fun.
0: Yeah. But having all of the resources available that that kind of operation allowed us to have was yeah. pretty astounding. Because on one stage, you're shooting there. And on the other stage, we're prepping the next show. Or we're out on location, doing a location Which
1: show. also caused problems for the directors. Because then Mick... As as a, as a good executive producer, would come in and he'd go, you know, uh, Dario Argento is filming his episode, He's, and his is really bloody. <laughs> and, like, really, the action's good. And I'm like, oh, sh- I, don't want, to, I don't want to be the slacker in the bunch. <laughs>
0: well, let me say again, we scheduled your show as the premiere show for no, a reason. It yeah. was not the first one shot, but it was the first one. Well, the I, I saw
2: Dario Argento. I had dinner with him in Italy. Ah. Was, no, you're no, kidding. No. no. Well, uh, tell us everything. It, I, some, it was, it, he didn't speak perfect English or anything, yeah. Yeah. but he was funny as hell. Yes. We, we sat yeah. by turn. he was – and we talked about about that, and he remembered your episode, yes. you uh-huh. know. And but and we talked about the one he had done and all that. But he had had a really good time on uh, Masters of Heart. He
0: did. Yeah. And he did yeah. two of them, yeah.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and he said that, he and he wanted more of them, you know. Yeah. I did too. But he was so sweet because I came in and he went, you are famous. I went, Oh, damn, for God's <laughs> sake. You no know, humility is enough, you know. <laughs> but we had a, we had a great, great dinner and uh, me, and Karen, my wife and, mm-hmm. and him uh, and a bunch of other people that were in, and somebody else I think had, had a, that was there that had something to do with it. I'm not oh, sure now it's okay. been so long ago. But what a what a what a cool guy. What a
1: nice nice. Guy. Yeah, another favorite memory of mine was after we made the show, I was uh, got kindly invited to join some other of the directors in uh, Torino, Italy yes, for the film was festival where we amazing. screened yeah. and to walk through the streets of Turin in uh, at night with Mick uh, Joe Dante, John Landis, but Dario Argento's like a rock star in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. He that shoots was this, all
0: of his movies in, in Torino. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, I love Torino.
2: Was, yeah. uh, you know what's weird is that I'm I'm really well known in Italy. I'm that's, like people recognize me on the street for a, a novelist. That's that. pretty amazing. Yeah, for yeah. for a writer, but uh, it, it's it's so much fun. Torino is this cool city that's very artistic. It's very. Um, uh, it's kind of got a moodier feel than a lot of other uh, uh, mm-hmm. Italy. It's more, it's got some uh, influences of France and different mm-hmm. things like that, but they have uh, a a film festival there every year. I got to be a judge one year winners. Wow, by one. Nice. Yeah. We were there and, two years in a row with, yeah. Them. And then they have the great film museum there. Oh, it's, oh, it's I'm, I'm, I'm really yeah. pimping for a, a Torino cause it's my favorite <laughs> city in Italy. It's and I go there a lot. And a uh, case some of my Italian friends or fans are, are listening i want them to know how much i appreciate how <laughs> kind they Plus
1: if you be. go in October it's truffle season That's true and true. i developed the taste oh, <laughs> well okay. and i can't afford them here <laughs> no, no, That's true those are those are special
0: Well there's been a kind of a transition in the direction of your work Joe mm. um, You were first very well known for your horror work, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of transitioned into, well, westerns and crime. Happen Leonard was a series of books and short stories that has been a three-season run on Sundance. So Mm -hmm. uh, was that an intentional transition or just a natural thing that happened to you? Your interests moved in a different direction? I always had
2: interest in that. I mean, the very first things I saw were mysteries. Mm-hmm. They were short stories for Mike Chain Mystery Magazine, or novellas, or novelettes is what they called them. Right. And I wrote uh, a few things like that. My first novel, Act of Love, was a crime novel. Was a police procedural. Very dated now, but that got me going. Uh, the Night Runners is a cross between horror and crime. Mm-hmm. So I think that was always there. But if you look at most of my work, and I include Bubba Hotep in this, they're westerns. Interesting. Yeah. Ride the high country. Like we said, you know, he
0: there's a lot saying, of boots in Bubba Hotel. Well, yeah, yeah but there's, it's <laughs> the it's it's
2: storyline. It has the showdown and it, it has, uh, it, it's like, a, you know, the term Western. So a lot of people, they have the, a, a bad idea because they right. don't really know anything about them. Right. And, uh, but, but there were certain formats that I like there. Happen Leonard, I, I think of them kind of as Western characters in a modern sense. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so there's a lot of that influence there. So I think I always had the influence. It's just at that time. I was doing a lot more horror, but I still write horror. I have Mm -hmm. stuff coming out now in in horror. Uh, So uh, I think the interests were always multiple. And I think it's why the the genre crossing was there so early on is because I was influenced heavily by books and short stories, as well as as films and television shows. And, And of course, television now is a unique place to work, if you can get in, because it's it's more novelistic. It's more character-driven because it has more room.
0: And the production values have met and exceeded yeah. feature films yes, in a lot have. of cases. And that oh, was, was not excellent. the case before. Yeah. And digital filmmaking has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, you did some screenwriting early on doing animation. That's right. Doing superheroes and things Batman, like that. Batman, the
2: animated series, okay. and one Superman, the animated series. Yeah. Some of the greatest fun I ever had. And you know, what is really nice is I'll meet people that are like, I don't know, in their thirties, like my son's age, and, and, uh, my daughter, and they'll come up and go, did you wrote – did you write that Read My Lips? Yeah. Oh. My God, and you know, so and for some, for them, that was the, their entry into my work. A lot of times, or, or the comics. You know, I did Jonah Hex comics, right, right. I did Conan comics, had Lone Ranger, all those different things. But you had comic people come to the work. You had animation fans come to the work, and that's a cross uh, genre there in a way. So uh, I've been very fortunate because I liked all these different genres that I have been able to be new several times instead right. of being new once.
0: Well, it's. Uh, have you intentionally not pursued the screenwriting aspect and leave it to Actually Actually, you know,
2: I did a, a thing called Son of Batman. I did an animated film. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a script for Happen Leonard. And I've sold – I wrote a script that uh, Ridley Scott got for The Big Blow. Wow. And for a while, they were going to shoot that. And then as things changed there, it got lost. And then mm-hmm. uh, they were going to shoot one by Or Moverman. And then they came back, and they were going to shoot my script because uh, uh, they had a director that – i i liked and i thought would be interesting to do it but they were not able to make a deal that's why i won't mention his name because i don't make a deal well now they've got the script by moverman again and they've got a director in line they've announced they're going to do it but they announced they're going to do it every three years yes but i got you know sort of
0: like the drive-in well yeah
2: and you know what one time i remember when uh they wanted to re-option it and i wasn't crazy about them re-optioning it because they'd had it a long time and i went to my wife and i went to Paris for some reason. I don't know. Some kind of a thing. And so when we came back, I had no more landed than my agent at that time. It's not my current agent. Called and said, well, we sold that to Ridley Scott. We sold the, I said, man, I told you I didn't want an option. He said, no, no, we stow- sold it. And I said, how much? And he told me, I went, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that was a good move. Yeah. Okay. But they had something in the contract after it had been optioned enough. Because my option didn't go to the back end. It was just free money. Mm-hmm. And I think right. one day they looked they said, you know, we've been doing this a long time. Hmm. And David Lynch had it before that. I had the wow. same deal with him. Wow. So it's still not made and yet
0: but you're making good well i I did (laughs) it. at at that
2: moment in time it changed things for me because several other things were coming but i'm just saying that's how film is a lot of times you think somebody isn't working in it and they are they are my son and i have a script out with uh, uh for a a television pilot my daughter and i are trying to, to are working in in film things so i mean you, you do it and occasionally something actually happens right, but right. there's people i know have never saw never sold us i mean they've like, sold a script never had one film yep that are absolutely quite
0: wealthy right do, living so quite many. well yeah, really on quite being wealth. paid to write without getting produced right true. speaking of writing for someone who struggles with the writing process, your book, True Indie, it felt like it just flowed out of you. Uh, this is a really great autobiography from someone who's worked in the trenches. Your career, Don, has been almost exclusively independent film. And it's incredibly honest and incredibly Inspiring and heartbreaking at the same time. So, tell me about the process of of deciding to put it all in a book, and the process of doing it and getting it out there.
1: Uh look, look it, uh, it's it's hard to put put my finger on one reason that caused this to happen, other than uh, I do know that I've been through a lot of interesting stories, and I'm always always meeting aspiring filmmakers and, you know, l- looking for their path into the business. And, the, you know, they asked me for advice about things and I always thinking, you know, like, I'm the last person to give you advice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was a, a confluence of But who of better events. with this long list of things that yeah. you've done entirely on your own? Well, you know, one, one part of it was nice and uh, you know, I, actually in a way, Joe, I recommend it to you if you ever think about writing a memoir because it gives you a chance to go back and look at some of the eras that you've passed and sometimes you know i I tend to compartmentalize and put things away you know and not especially failures you know and Mm -hmm. and force you to go through and address some of them and you know one of my biggest failures in my mind you know was my very first movie Mm -hmm. you know because i made this film it started as a student project and ended up uh universal studios purchased it and my and you were how old well, when they well, bought it, it was I bought, well. then when, I, when they <laughs> bought it, I was 19 years old. Exactly. And my neighborhood kind of- friend and I, Craig Mitchell was his name. We co-directed this movie, and we had an office on the lot at Universal Pictures with Universal Studios. And what's more interesting, and as I tell it in the book, I would forgotten what we had was at that time. We had access to the president of the studio because he was the one who had originally seen the movie and bought it, brought us to the studio to finish it. And then we went – oh, the name of the movie? Jim, the World's Greatest. Mm -hmm. And good luck finding it because Mm -hmm. it never came out on video or VHS or DVD. Uh, Still Lost in the Vaults. But – and I think it was a pretty decent movie. It was a drama you know, and it starred Angus Grim Reggie Bannister was in it, so early You know, was he collaborators. Going by
0: Angus that early, or no, was he, he went still by Rory his, Guy? Yeah,
1: man. he went by Lawrence Guy, actually. A yeah, man of multiple names. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but imagine, Mick, being 19 years old, and we could go up. Get an elevator at the what was then called the Black Tower at Universal because right. I think you, it's still called the Black Tower, and yeah. we could ride up to the fifteenth floor. And the gentleman's name was Sid Scheinberg, and go right up to his secretary. He goes, hey, you sit in. We want to ask him about something. <laughs> we would have like a new idea, you know. And he would wave us in, and we tell him, and because you know, like it's interesting because. It was, There's a culture of fear at the studio there at that time. And Mm -hmm. we were like these wild card kids that had access to them. Of course, My career has continued. I've never had access like that again. (laughs) I've never had an office on a studio lot since that time. But going back and looking at it, I I saw so many interesting stories about that. And I I just started to write it. But I think part of it uh, interesting is, you know, Bubba Hotep played a a part in this. Not only the fact that I made the movie and I could tell the stories about it, but the editor – who uh really pursued me to do this had made his bone well i don't know he wouldn't exactly made it bone, but he had excellent success um publishing bruce campbell's autobiographies oh and yeah so that was the connection and he thought well I, you know i've had success with bruce and i kept telling him look i'm i'm not going to sell the numbers yeah. that bruce sells because we yeah, so we both seen the, camera, the yeah, uh, in front of the, camera, the lines yeah. that bruce has oh, at his oh, stuff yeah. But in any case, I think it was an interesting uh, point of, uh, you know, self-reflection to go through these different phases in my life and tell, you know, basically s- telling the story of my uh, various film exploits. And, uh, yet at the same time, try to make it a uh, handbook on Indie film, filmmaking, distribution, you know, how to working, struggling to find funding to get your films made, dealing with actors, you know, writing. There's so many different aspects of it. I think that if, if nowhere else, you know, somebody who's, you know, 20 years old and wants to get in the movie business, it would be an interesting book for them to read. Yeah. Uh,
2: when's this coming out? Uh, October
0: 2nd. Okay. And the title? True, indeed. Life and, and death and filmmaking. <laughs> well, and that's something that should be said about Baba Hotep. It could only have been an independent film. Oh, the yeah. ideas are are so wild and imaginative, and yet it's set on such solid ground. And with these human performances, but it's totally independent. Absolutely true. Because it's also really fucking weird. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But nobody would have made it. But I think that probably to both uh, Joe and my uh, everlasting gratitude was the the real breakthrough in my mind and success was the fact that the movie worked with younger audiences. Because when I was going out to try to get funding – People would say, Oh, well, who's going to want to sit for two hours with old codgers in a rest home? You know, come on, you got to put a long scenes in bed. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Can you put a hunky guy in there like as an orderly? And I'm thinking, No, there's no role for them. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, is from our very first screenings, there would be the Joe Lansdale fans, there'd be the black T shirt, Evil Dead and Phantasm fans, like age 16 to 30. We hit a sweet spot. And they, but they, they got, the storyline about the, the our culture's treatment of the elderly, you know, about how we warehouse people and, and, and all these people with, you know, that are, had such meaningful, rich lives we just dismiss. And this worked with young people. And what it proved is that I think, and I don't, this is no great surprise, but the powers that be that make the movies tend to underestimate their own.
2: Well, and, and you know, the other thing too is is that... I think Bruce's performance is the best he ever gave, and I think that that was a really award winning performance and I wished he had gotten more attention for that but the other thing I was going to say, although that's we you often hear it's called a cult movie or, mm-hmm. or a b movie, it's made a transition in the last few years to being something
0: else respectable respectable yeah, who go. would have ever <laughs> yeah. thought that yeah yeah, yeah. Boy, and i'll, I'll take that word yeah you know but it's true and it really probably got you more good reviews than you'd had up until that time in your career
1: it was it was you know generally well reviewed, no question yeah. about it. And,
2: and you know I've also talked to people who saw it when they were younger that didn't get it,
1: yeah, because mm-hmm. it
2: wasn't a kick ass Bruce Campbell in the way they thought of it. And then some of them said, you know, and I saw that thing again. He said, I I missed the boat. I said, no, you were just too young, yeah, you <laughs> yes. know, because the when they saw it the next time, you know, I, I, and Don and I were younger, obviously then, but we were starting to have people we knew and starting to think about, you know, this. This is a future that you have to look at because it's Absolutely. very likely, yeah.
1: and it's a real horror story. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about you know the, ending your days in one of those old folks' homes, just yep. neglected, yep. and you know all in the original short story that scene with uh, where Elvis is laying there, you know, feeling sorry for himself, everything so bad, and then he this 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 young woman comes in and she's she's going through the his roommate had died <laughs> yeah. and she's going through his things and there there's this purple heart metal and she's just throwing it in the trash and has photos, <laughs> photos of him as a young man you know like uh what was a uh, swinging dick till the yeah. end of time uh, yeah. just tossing it in the trash right. and it's just uh right. so touching and yeah. meaningful
2: yeah it's powerful because i'd seen things somewhat like that when
1: i was there yeah. you
2: know when i was my mother because i would go there and sit and then my brother would go and and uh, she did get better but she never left that home mm. you yeah. know and it's uh you, you start looking around and, and it's the sort of thing that makes you go yeah you know, it doesn't matter how famous you are, how much money you got, yeah. you know, d- d- nothing matters. And yeah. in the end, you you need people there that
0: that matter to you. Exactly. Well, we can't wrap this up without addressing... Baba Nosferatu, uh, and the possibility. <laughs> look
1: good. Yeah. It does not look promising not from a film point of view. But uh, yeah, we you know just to fill everybody in is for a couple of years there, and, and I and I'm going to have to say it for the first time here. The reason I never did that you kind took up you up on your kind offer of season two of Masters of Horror <laughs> was because I thought that I was going to make Baba Nosferatu, and it didn't happen, and it was uh, you had a lot of good stuff you know there. It could have been, a, I think, a, a, a wonderful movie in some respects. Had the two of
0: you worked on ideas for that?
1: Not so much. You know, I did was, write a,
2: a prequel to it called Bubba and the Cosmic Bloodsucker. It's not a screenplay. Well, yeah, down. I wanted to go into uh, a novel. Yeah. And, and then, it, I, then it's a comic book series right
1: Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. know, Joe has carried the, you know, the torch, continued the torch with a whole line of new yeah. – uh, uh, with a novel and a, a comic book series with yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of interesting, really transgressively strange vampires yeah, really. in that.
0: Really? From Joe Lansdale. Uh. Well, <laughs> well, and you know, the thing is, is that
2: it got to the point to where, that we were talking about a prequel at one point, it got to the point where I don't think Bruce could play the younger Elvis anymore
1: convincingly. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I'd never tell him that. Well, not, but if I mean,
2: to- not <laughs> when he first started talking about it, it, was perfect. But I mean, now I'm talking about now. Yeah. I, I don't. I think it'd be very, very hard for him to go back and play uh, a guy that's in his late 30s or, or so on. That'd yeah. be difficult. For anybody, because, you know, Bruce is older. That's it. Yep. But if we, we could have continued with uh, the older Elvis uh, quite easily, because as as uh, Bruce said, nobody can d- tell him that he doesn't look like the older Elvis. Because, that's right.
0: <laughs> who knows? Yeah, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So was that tag at the end of Ho Hotep a joke or a promise?
1: Well, at the first – when I first put it down in the script, I mean, it was – I had loved the way that the 007 movies always ended with a promise of the uh-uh, next 007. Right. right. And the movie was so down with what happened with Elvis, you know, at, by the creek bed and, you know, all is well. And, you know, the tears are welling. I thought, well, we're going to have to leave the audience with a little hope, you know. Right. So I right. decided to put that in at the end. And I remember standing there with Joe and Bruce at CineVegas at our very first right. screening. Uh, we were, they brought us up to the front. We already ready to go on as the credits are running and that came up and the whole audience just goes, "Ah, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. Yeah. But people responded But you could see like they really wanted it and so for, hey, you'll have to read true indie that tells the whole
2: story. One thing I really liked about that film I loved was that it had this big opening like it was going to be Ben-Hur. Right. You
1: know,
2: and and I just loved that. You know, and I think it kind of ended that way. It 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 ain't ain't (laughs) Ben-Hur. It ain't Ben-Hur. And then we had that uh, archival footage Footage. of the the German archives, which I saw recently on a, uh, an archaeological show I was watching.
1: Oh, they probably, yeah, because yeah, they use so the same stuff. They, well, yeah. It, yeah, it was a real deal, and he <laughs> yeah.
2: was there, uh, and I just thought that was so, it was giant being her, then that, yeah. and then the rest home. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe Lansdale, Don Coscarelli, thank you so much for joining us to hey, celebrate thank you for this having us. wonderful movie that deserves celebration for many years to come. Thanks Nick, for joining our us. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank Great. You. Thank you, guys. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at MickGarrisInterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.